Hey friends, welcome to the Next Step Leadership Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. I'm Tracy Reynolds, and my partner for the Next Step journey is Chris Maxwell. Together we hope to inspire, assist, and create the confidence you need to take your next step in your personal growth, spiritual growth, vocation, or even your calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, come on, let's dive into this week's episode of Next Step Leadership. Welcome to Next Step Leadership. I'm Chris Maxwell, and um, Tracy Reynolds is with me. And Tracy, it's good to get together again and have conversations. Good morning, Chris. Yes, it is absolutely awesome. We're having a good time uh, in year two. We have a very special guest today, uh, Douglas Birch, who's a pastor, a writer. He speaks a lot with pastors, but I've particularly enjoyed his uh, comments, both on his podcast as well as reading his work. So good morning, Douglas. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Yeah, it's so great to have you with us. And uh, just kind of thinking back uh, in my life, the connections to you were through your sister, and she and her family were a part of the church that I was pastoring in Orlando, and then just staying connected to them from a distance now, and uh, then reading your writing, reading your comments. I just feel like your voice is one of those that we need here is, is just kind of we have conversations uh, about uh, thinking of the future, how can we become better at who we are and what we're doing in the present, and uh, and, and just find hope uh, for the future. Hmm. Well, it is a privilege to kind of get to talk with you in person. I know we've interacted, but my, my sister and brother-in-law have been the worship leaders in our church for oh, like 22 years, and she's my older sister, yet she's... Uh, not bossy. She's an amazing person. I don't think I could do ministry without her. And they've always spoken so highly of their time with you as uh, you being their pastor as they went around the U.S. with, she's also a doctor. So there was residencies and places she had to go. And you were definitely a safe, nurturing, encouraging place for them. Yeah. Well, it was an honor. Well, it's, uh, I'd love for us to dive right in to uh, your passion for, I think, I would call it authentic ministry, uh, trying to, to hear the heart of God and, and represent that to our people. And so you, you care a lot about pastoral ministry. So talk, let's start there. Well, one of the things for me, I've been pastoring, you know, I think it's like 22 years of the same church, and I didn't know what I was doing when I started, and I don't know if I know now. Uh, and I think the harvest is ripe and the workers are few, so we need to make room for a diverse expression of what it means to be a, a lead pastor. And I don't think of one type of pastor. I think there's as many, you know, how many different people are there? There should be different expressions of pastors in that same light. I think one of the struggles is there's more expectations than ever before on what a pastor should be, what a church should be. Uh, there's less people willing to even go into the ministry because of all those expectations. So I think we really are in a crisis in that sense. Mm -hmm. So I want to help pastors feel encouraged uh, by helping them manage expectations, that it's okay to be depressed, it's okay to be angry, it's okay to want to quit on a regular basis, yeah. that that's part of ministry. So I try to articulate those things. I share my struggles knowing that other people have permission to share theirs as well. And I also want to encourage them that, you know, so often we go to these conferences and the conferences tell you what a church should do to grow or be successful. And it's not necessarily bad advice. But the problem is it becomes another expectation on the pastor. And I found most pastors want people to believe in them, to come to them and say, I believe God is leading you and speaking to you, and 
I want to partner with what God is doing in your life. And a lot of our literature doesn't do that. It puts something on the pastor instead of partnering with what God is doing in the life of the pastor and the family. So my job, our goal, is to partner with God's vision in other people and to be someone that expands that vision where they get more excited about their calling when they talk with me, not more discouraged and burdened down with expectations they cannot pursue. What are some ways that you emphasize that, like in a conversation uh, with a younger pastor or an older pastor that is so burned out Mm -hmm. now with all of the pressure amid the the chaos around us, but also that internal, those voices that that they're hearing over and over, the, the, what equals success in this culture? Um, how do you respond to that? Well, sometimes with humor, I was—I often tell pastors, the problem with ministry is if your church does really well, God gets all the credit. And if it does poorly, it's your fault. And every <laughs> pastor understands that, right? Because And that's not true. You know, it's, it's in God's hands. But we take tremendous responsibility for anything that goes wrong. And then, you know, if something goes well, it's like, well, it's not about me. And so that's a big issue. But the other one is also... I tell pastors to make ministry personal, and this kind of goes against some of the teachings out there in the sense of uh, you're going to be rejected no matter what in ministry. Mm-hmm. So why not be rejected for doing what you love, for what is truly mm-hmm. your passion, for who you truly are? And so that's the probably the biggest way I encourage pastors, like, who are you? What do you love doing? Like some pastors, they just love preaching and teaching, and that's not wrong. There's probably gifting sets within that. Others love just hanging out with people and talking. If they could spend their whole week, they'd just have meeting after meeting talking with people. Well, which is the right way for a pastor? Well, it depends on the giftings, the character, and the calling of that person. So I want to find out what their giftings are and then to release them to do that. It's okay. Now, if you spend a lot of time with people, meeting one-on-one, your sermons might not be that deep. You might need some help there. If you spend a bunch of time on your sermons, you might not be very social with people, and so you're going to have to figure out how does the church facilitate a social environment where we we meet together, and the pastor shouldn't be doing everything anyway. So that's probably the biggest way is what are your giftings, press into those giftings, and then deal with the consequences. If you pastor that way, this is probably what's going to happen. Are you okay with that? That, I think, encourages pastors that it's not wrong for them to pursue their heart's desire, that they want to preach or they want to teach or they want to just have small groups every day of the week, that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I hear a couple things there. One, that I think that starts with listening, doesn't it, Doug? That, that first you've got to hear what God has spoken to their hearts. So mm-hmm. you've got to begin that conversation by putting on your ears and saying, okay, tell me, and, and kind of probing into that, perhaps a, mo- a little bit further than what they would present as the, yeah. the company line. So this is what I feel like God has kept, equipped me to do. Then helping them to uh, accentuate that, lean into that. Well, you know, I'm not a good listener. I'll just say that. And I think many pastors are not good listeners. Uh, I learned this when I did a radio show for five years. I did a daily radio show, like 1,200 shows. And part of the show was to interview people. And I remember doing my first interviews that I would be in conversations of waiting for someone to stop talking so I can give my point. I get really excited. You said something, so I want to say something. But I suddenly realized, no, this is about some person's book. This isn't about me. I need to learn how to ask questions, which just sounds really (laughs) terrible on my part. But I was so used to giving advice because I have so much advice to give and it's good advice that I miss the power. And we all know this as Christians. If I tell someone to do something, even if it's right, 
that seldom does much unless the person really has discovered it themselves. So mm. when you ask someone a question and then you partner with their answer, I mean, I'm certainly going to give my opinions, but it's amazing how much more uh, it just takes root because it's not just, well, Doug gave advice, but that question stirs up something within their heart. So I agree with you. Yes. In fact, I should even do that more is start with asking questions. The same with online communication, any communication, let people know that you care about their heart before you jump in and give them their advice. Because if you don't know them, what are you going to do? You're going to give them your system, your way of viewing the world. And that can be more problematic than not having the conversation at all. Mm, that's so good. I was uh, writing the chapter on listen well in my book, Equilibrium. And as I was writing it, I'm like, okay, I can't just write it. I have to do this. <laughs> and even though I love people, I have a pastoral heart and I, and I like to, to listen, I have to pay extra attention uh, because of uh, the brain damage that I have and living with epilepsy. So is some of the negatives can force me to do positives you know, that I may not do naturally. But, but it was just like I was spending that week with my goal was listen well, mm-hmm. listen well. And I felt like I had this sense that I... I heard things that I normally do not hear. Mm. Uh, I mean, just outside in nature. And, and so I took the spiritual formation, uh, it, the students in my spiritual formation class, we just went outside and I said, okay, I'm not going to say anything. And then when we come back to class, you're going to talk about what you heard. Mm. And they just had to listen. And well, that was a great experience, not just for them, but it was for me. Yeah. You, you hit at something that's so true that often our strengths do become our weakness. When we just think we know and we can do something easy, we don't even wait upon the Lord. I remember I had a pastor friend. It wasn't a rebuke, but it was a gentle, loving kind of disciplining of me where I was talking about some problem. And he goes, he goes that must be tough for you, Doug, because you have so many gifts there. You just, I'm sure you're just going to do this and do that. And he goes, but I don't have any gifts there, so I just start praying. And it hit me <laughs> of what I do. Like when I think I'm strong, I stop praying or I stop listening. And I, I did this in my marriage, you know, the first 10 years of my marriage. My wife's more quiet than I am. What a surprise. I talk a lot. She doesn't talk as much. And so I would like lecture her about why won't you talk to me more? And why won't you blah, 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 you know, and why she should. And then one day I felt like the Lord just said, why don't you ask her questions? And that mm-hmm. opened up our marriage. Instead of me lecturing, you should do this or that, which is just terrible. It was, how was your day? How are you feeling? What would you like to do? And lo and behold, as I began to ask questions and listen, there was a personality and identity and desires in my wife that could come out. And for pastors, you know, particularly, we preach something, we teach something, and just making room for God to speak is sometimes the best thing Mm -hmm. we can do, just to be silent and let God speak. Doug, I also love that the belief that God speaks to individuals individually, that he actually does uh, speak to us and he has a plan for our life. And that's not just a coined phrase, but there's a reality there and finding that and resting into that. And and again, leaning into that is where we're going to probably be most effective as well as most satisfied. Yeah. And this, I'm a Pentecostal. Uh, I don't hang from chandeliers or uh, hold snakes. Uh, (laughs) Me either. Uh, but one of the things I think people miss about the purpose of the Holy Spirit, you know, on, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And on Pentecost, the Israelites celebrated the giving of the law. They read scriptures about the giving of the law. And so why was the Spirit poured out at Pentecost? Well, to show us that in the Old Testament, what, what was their freedom from bondage? It's Passover. It's been led out, you know, of Egypt into the wilderness. 
And then how do they live once they're in the wilderness? It's the giving of the law. Well, what's our Passover? Well, it's salvation. It's Easter Sunday. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But now we're free from our bondage. How do we live in the wilderness? Well, we don't live by the law. That's why the Holy Spirit's poured out at Pentecost. We live by the leading of the Spirit. So does the Spirit express himself or within Scripture? Yes. Within the gathered body? Yes. Uh, but also, the Scripture presents to us the resurrected presence of Jesus so that we can have the personal leading of God mm. to confirm what we're reading in Scripture, to confirm what we see in the body of Christ, to, you know, to confirm that truth. So, yeah, I, for me, I could not live without the personal leading of the Holy Spirit because these systems and structures that tell me what I should or shouldn't do, I can't live up to those. But I can follow mm. my loving Father who says, Doug, it's okay. It's okay for you to do this. It's how I made you. In the sense of, I, I do lots of guest speaking and writing, and it doesn't fit into my pastor role. And I do it because I believe the Spirit of the Lord has led me to do it, not because that's what a pastor should or shouldn't do. I do it because that's my relationship with God. Doug, as you're uh, talking about this, uh, I'm thinking um, about um, so many friends who are going through a variety of seasons right now. A pastor who just uh, left a church. Because honestly, it was burned out. His ministry just just wore him out. Another church that we recently closed uh, because nobody was left there anymore. Uh, so many churches, uh, you know, the numbers are declining, and they're, they're just feeling yeah. the pressure of what have we done wrong. Uh, I want you to kind of go back to what you were saying earlier, but give us some practical suggestions on what are some healthy ways we can do ministry in today's culture without ruining our own lives? One thing, I think we need to recognize what's happening in this moment in our history and not just try to go back to the way things used to be. Um, There is a tremendous decline going on across the board. I'm a pastor. My older brother's a pastor. Younger brother's a pastor. We all pastor differently, and uh, my older brother's in a different denomination than me. But across the board... We've had decline of one-third to one-half of the congregation. And we're seeing that. I ask this one of the things whenever, I'm sure you guys do that as well. I ask other pastors, and they're finding that decline. So you're finding this tremendous burnout. You're finding this huge decline. And then we're also finding that older pastors are retiring, but we're not getting replacement of that. Now, I understand that God builds the church, and it's not based on human systems. But we need to acknowledge that now is not the time just to, hey, you know, let's just promote another system and another, that mm. something's happening, and we need to pray and discern and gather together and talk to the leaders. It bothers me with denominational leadership. Often they come with another program, another system. They're well-intentioned, but you need to get the people in the room and let them share their heart. Mm. And if 80% of the people in the room are suffering, it's not a time to say, here's our new system, here's our new structure. They, they need mm. encouragement. They need to be built up. They need to be prayed for. I think right now it's in a place where we need to bring healing to people who've gone through two years of tremendous trauma. Some have been online for 16 months and their congregation disappeared and didn't come back. These are traumatic loss experiences that we need to facilitate safe environments. So at a personal level as a pastor, facilitate those conversations with other pastors. However, this is a great time when everything's crumbled around you Mm -hmm. is to wait for the kingdom to rise up that's more permanent. And this is what I would encourage other pastors is you pastor long enough, you think you know reality, and then reality crumbles around you. And sometimes the desire is to run away, like, well, I just missed it. But if you wait, another more permanent kingdom will rise up in its place. Mm -hmm. 
And that you might have permission, you know, what do I really want the church to be? What do I want to be? As a Christian, what do I really believe? And when your congregation went down a half, you can be fearful or you can say, you know, we're pretty small as it is. Let's just build this thing on what we really believe. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would encourage pastors right now is, one, to contend for their own mental health or their well-being, to admit to the church where they're at. Like I had to tell our church council, I can't do some big thing this year. I'm just barely making it. I wish I wasn't. I wish I could tell you something else. But energy-wise, I'm preparing for Sundays and Wednesdays. I'm available for you guys. I love you. But I can't do a big building campaign. I can't. And we have to be honest with that because if we're pretending, we're just going to get eaten up. And God wants us for the long haul. So contend for your own mental health, your own well-being. And then the other idea is if ever there was a time to restructure the church around what you're passionate about. And this is true even in families. You know, Through COVID, how many families came together and like, what's life about? What is our marriage about? What are our kids about? It's not the time to say, let's just go back to how things were. It's here's the time we live in, what's eternal, what's essential, and what rust corrodes and fades away. So those are the kinds of conversations we need to have. But it's scary because systems and structures and habits and rituals defend us. We think they defend us. We get nervous when we're just out there without these things to defend us, trying to hear the voice of God. But that's always been existence, whether we want to believe it or not. It's the existence of that we have a living God who's leading us, and there's a mystery to that. And each generation is trying to figure out how that expresses itself in our families and in our culture. Doug, I'm I'm curious. I love that. I'm Mm -hmm. just, uh, I want to just jump in and say amen. But uh, going a tad further with that, what um how do we do that in community in authentic ways as pastors people that 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 maybe haven't felt the maybe the latitude to do that or the the privilege to do that but what are some thoughts about how can i connect with other brothers and sisters who can can help meet me there well this is really a struggle because it depends on the setting you're in like i work in mm-hmm. an episcopal structure where i don't really have any the church can't hire and fire me. I have a certain amount of freedom of what I can even share, my vulnerabilities. And then we've created a culture of vulnerability for, for 22 mm-hmm. years. And so for others where they're more private and they don't know if they can share things, it's harder for them. But I still would pray and ask the Lord to show you what to do. I believe, personally, it's demonic that pastors don't regularly meet together mm-hmm. in ways that are deep and encouraging. I'm not talking about going to the pastor's fellowship where everyone's kind of jockeying for their power and it's just superficial. Mm -hmm. And But you know, even in this conversation, there's a little bit of this going on. You know my heart and I know your heart, so I don't have to qualify everything. I don't have to worry about offending people. And pastors are often worried about, well, if I say this, it's going to hurt these people, it's going to hurt those. And even if they share their own hurts, it'll hurt other people. And then you got to pastor that. There needs to be safe people where you can come to them and not have to do the qualifiers. You know, I love Jesus, but we know you love Jesus. I love the congregation, but but to say, you know, I'm angry at these people. Or here's one, pastoring is full of losses, and you will get angry about those losses. The hundreds or thousands of people who leave you. Now, they're not leaving you, but that's how it feels. It feels like I've been abandoned. How do you share that? You have to intentionally pursue relationships, and it takes effort to 
Yeah. It takes false starts, but to pursue people, to meet with, they can, and if you say, can I meet monthly? They'll say no, because they're already failing everyone else. But if, mm-hmm. you, if you can just be like, can we meet once? And then you get a feel for it. You're like, okay, we're in the same place. Let's Now let's set this in and do it again, but give it priority. Now, I believe you have to push through your insecurities because I found most relationships with pastors, I have to facilitate the relationship. Mm-hmm. They're just so in their world that they don't call me necessarily. They don't set up the meeting. But when I call them and set it up, they're thankful for it. So I yeah. just have to believe they need it, whether they're going to pursue it or not. Deal yeah. with the insecurities of why don't you call me when I call you or why don't you know, yeah. and just pursue that. But we have to be intentional on that because Satan wants us to be separate, to be isolated yeah. in any battle, right? To be like, we don't know what's going on on other fronts. It encourages me. Even if I'm struggling greatly, if I'm with another brother or sister that I love, who I can see that they're having some vibrancy in life, I feel like that's a win for me, if that makes sense. So yes, Satan wants to isolate us in our own traumas, our own conflicts, our own you know failures or whatever, and then to feel like that's existence. And that is not existence, and that's also not our future. Mm. So, well, I appreciate your honesty here, and this is a great conversation. We will continue that uh, in the next podcast. We've got a lot more questions for you as we are just trying to learn ways to make our next steps our best steps. Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Check out our show notes for more information regarding guest contact information. Chris Maxwell's 11th book, Equilibrium, 31 Ways to Stay Balanced on Life's Uneven Surfaces, is available now at www.chrismaxwell.me or Amazon, where you can find all of Chris's previous books as well. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. You can find their new musical releases at www.casualamericans.com or at your favorite music suppliers. We release Next Steps Leadership each Thursday. So join us again next week on the Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step.